Good evening and welcome to another edition of Football Bloody Hell. On the show tonight, we've got Hilda Pryor. And even Harry Pryor might be coming on. I'm here again. Mr. Sarcasm, Ricky Hyatt's here as well. And Tom Bailey from the commentary crew's here as well. So, settle back for a nice little bit of soccer banter. We can focus on Yogo's victory last night. And I expect Man United's defeated Arsenal might be on the agenda as well. So, pour yourself a nice gin and tonic and let's get into the show. And good evening everybody and welcome to yet another edition of... Football? Bloody hell! And I'm back! I went up to Surrey yesterday... And the boys cocked it up as usual. You just can't leave them for a we minute, did. can you? We did. <laughs> and we're proud. But yes. to, to, be, true, to be fair to you Valley's all... Valley's radio fashion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But to be fair to you all, I didn't know that the answer was that if you just go down a little bit on the email, what you get from Zoom, there's a tick box where it just says it will send you a recording of it. I didn't even know that existed until my computer man pointed it out to me. So... Uh, we're all kind of guilty in a way, but there we go. <laughs> anyway, David, over to you. Yeah, well, we've got lots to get through because it does mean it gives us another opportunity to run through all the weekend's results as we haven't done that on uh, Monday. But uh, we'll just finish introducing everyone with a nice, happy, smiley Rick Hyatt in the building. How are you doing, Rick? I'm very, very warm and pink. Thank you for asking. Are you well done? Overly well done. I wouldn't eat me. He's um, congratulations, isn't he? I've definitely gone over. <laughs> what about you, Tom? How are you feeling? Very warm. I uh, I went to the gym, so I'm done for the day. Oh, you're a brave man in a day like today. Yeah. Brave or stupid um, is open for debate. But There's uh... a fine line between the two, I always find. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, we're now going to start on a positive note because of, like Aidy's touched on, we didn't get a chance to speak on Monday. So Yeovil Town did get a uh, creditable draw in the end um, against Chelmsford City because they did concede right at the end, but they were able to pull it back. Yes, that's right. They were able to pull that back. And they then managed to kick on. And not only did they kick on, it was the big one against Western yesterday. Myself and Tom were there. And Tom, Yeovil couldn't have asked for a much better result, certainly considering how they've been away from home. I think it was their first away win since January, all told. Their first away win of the season and no better place to get it, really, Tom Bailey. It's a massive league win. Um, if they can win on Saturday now against Eastbourne, then that is 
massive for the season. Um, hopefully they can start to really kick on from there. Really, really good first sort of 25 minutes, half an hour. It starts to falter a little bit towards half time, but came back out after half time and were brilliant once again. And uh, yeah, just a very impressive performance. New ball looked, sorry, new play, I should say, uh, looked much better down the middle. Um, Jordan Young looked brilliant once again. Uh, one all looked very strong again at the back and even the substitutions looked great as well. I mean, Bell came on and he probably had his best game um, in a oval shirt. Um, Joe Day looks very strong again in goal. So I think we're starting to see them settle down a bit and uh, and get themselves into a rhythm. And it was a grass pitch. So maybe it is just a 3G issue. But um, first away win is mighty convenient and comes on a grass pitch. So um, hopefully they can win at the weekend and solidify their their status as a contender. Can I make a point, David? (laughs) He is uh, currently babysitting his his wonderful little boy. Um, He disappeared completely, has he? Right, well, I'll carry on then for a minute. I'm just going to say, you know, I didn't go to the game, so I'm I'm probably not the best person qualified to comment on the game, but it does seem to be, though, that there's this... Something comes over the team... When we get to sort of very close to injury time in the, in the second half, and thankfully on this occasion um, it didn't sort of go wrong, but you know we're either sort of coming down and getting a goal in injury time, or we're conceding a goal in injury time, which is I just don't quite understand what what comes over them in that. Can you can you comment on that, Tom? You were there. I think the upside is that you'll never get a boring game with the Oval. It's just very. It's not good for the heart. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, it's. It's frustrating that late goals come, but at the same time, the fact that we've got the capability to score late goals kind of balances it out for me. Um, We've got that kind of clutch gene that we never really saw at all last year, where if we go behind, we can actually get ourselves back into it now, whereas last year was just, well, last year was dire, but this year we've we've got that that sort of ability to get ourselves back into it and galvanise ourselves, so... Um, yeah, not ideal that the goals do come in, but if we can outscore them, then there's no complaints for now. It's when you can't outscore, it starts to become a a bit more of a problem, as a Liverpool fan can uh, attest to. Was it a sloppy goal, though? Uh, second goal, somewhat. It was a good header, and the first goal was a deflection that would have gone straight down into Joe Day's hands. Um, so, first goal, yeah, unfortunate. Um, I missed cause... the first Western goal because I was uh, too busy queuing for a pint. <laughs> it was a good <laughs> That's strike. That's the edge but of priorities, definitely... right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, first shot was a uh, well. First goal was straight at the keeper, but unfortunate deflection. Uh, second goal, good header, but c- could have done a bit better from the defence. Apparently, um, he was the shortest guy on the pitch, wasn't he? I wouldn't be surprised if he was. To be honest, I didn't know too many of the the Western players, but. Um, yeah, good header, but unfortunate that it came. Fortunately, it came late enough that they couldn't do anything else about it. But well, um, our esteemed commentary team was making the point that he was the uh, the shortest player on the pitch at the time. So uh, <laughs> I don't know. If Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I vouch for that as well, Rick. Actually, <laughs> Mr. Purplehead. Anyway, over to you, Dave. Sorry, um, already Daddy Daycare has already. Um, meant that I've had to uh, shoot off already in the very infancy of this podcast. So I apologise as I dip in and out. You'll have to fill in the gaps for me, um, I'm afraid. Um, 
Yes, that's right, Harry. That's right. Um, Rick, we've just sort of touched on it there, but the fact that Yeovil have now managed to get that hoodoo off their back, if you like. Nobody's talking the plastic pitches at the moment. Of course, it was a, a grass piss pitch up at Weston. Easy for me to say. Um, and that might take some editing, actually. Um, but it's just going to do everybody the world of good, isn't it? As long as they can now back it up um, against Eastbourne on Saturday. Well, it puts them in a good position, doesn't it? That was ultimately not a bad result, all things given on Saturday. And then to go and win a local derby, get that away win, as we've been saying, it's, it's that word momentum, isn't it? You come into that division and you need to get a few wins behind you. That'll be a nice little unbeaten run again, if they can uh, where do get you, Where do you stand on this as a game, Rick? There's been a lot of talk over the last couple of days about whether you class it as a derby or not. Can something be a derby if you've got no history or is it purely on location for you? How do, how do you see it? I think they both, they can both contribute. I mean, United against the Bin Dippers isn't really a derby, but it's the biggest game in English football. So it has all the passion that goes that goes with it. So I don't know. It's usually, you, you'll find these ones that are a bit tenuous. It's usually the uh, team with the lower status that's pushing it as a derby. Because you get like Bolton would often say that the game it against... It wasn't lost on Tom and I that it was being um, advertised as a derby on the Western Supermare website. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. Western are traditionally, no offence to Western, the smaller club of the two. So they'll be the ones that, that push it. I mean, the point I was making was that Bolton used to say that the game against United was a derby and it was to them and it wasn't to, it wasn't to United. It's, it's like when... Tranmere play your lot. I mean, obviously Liverpool will be hyping that up as a derby and Tranmere say it's just, you know, it's just, it's just another fixture. It's just unnecessary, isn't it? It's just the need for the common, is, is, is it? Is it not Sorry. a question of the county, though? I mean, Westerns have made in Somerset, I think, is it? Or is it in Avon? I think it's North Somerset, yeah. So, you know, Somerset and we're in Somerset, albeit South Somerset, but I mean, uh, I would yeah, have thought I that suppose... would have a bearing on the derby issue. I think we... If we... Sorry. I think if we were there for five years, I would be prepared to call it a derby. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be happy. Today, but... Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't be happy about it, but I, I would be prepared to call I it mean, a I derby. I mean, I guess at but... the end of the day, if Crystal Palace Brighton can be considered a derby, then, <laughs> and then, then who are yeah. we to say that this isn't a derby? Palace Brighton is the not a derby derby. The Alan Mullery died. Didn't Alan Mullery and Terry Venables started that, didn't they? And I guess anybody who plays Derby is a Derby, I guess, by definition. The Derby. Moving derby. on, Hilda. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Moving on. Well, um, we are going to review the games that happened over the weekend then. So, uh, boys, you've had a little bit of extra a day or two to get your match of the day highlights in and uh, make sure that you're fully up to speed with everything that happened. But... Because it was a Friday night fixture, it's going to feel like this happened ages ago. So, um, Aid, I'll, I'll start with you. I don't know if you did see any of the game between Luton and West Ham, but the biggest takeaway I found watching it is the fact that Luton gave it a go, but I really felt like West Ham could have got on and scored more if they really felt they needed to. Did you kind of feel it was the same assessment for you? More or less, yeah. I think it, it's sad that... Um... Luton, all right, they have gone into the transfer market, but as I understand it, they would have had 
something like a hundred million pounds for winning in the, the playoff um, final, um, and they they don't appear to have really spent very much. And we all know that there's a huge gap between Championship and um, Premier League when it comes. And you know, I just feel that if they perhaps put a bit more thought into spending some money and getting a better team, they they might be in with a better chance. But at the moment, you sort of got that inevitability about it that Luton are going to lose and they're going to get relegated. So um, yes, yeah, it's, it's it's a worrying sort of point from Luton's point of view. If you're a Luton supporter, it must be very worrying, I should think. Rick, if you're a player on the continent in the sort of the bottom halves of the tables in, say, Spain, Italy, France, would you would you see Luton as an attractive proposition? Because a lot is obviously said about the money in the Premier League, yet it doesn't look like that Luton have necessarily shopped where their fans might have hoped that they would be shopping. Do you, would would you see them as a tra- as an attractive place to go if if you were a player on the continent? Absolutely, the Premier League is where is the pre- is the Premier League in. European football at the moment, and it's a, it's a gateway thing, isn't it? That's what Brentford have utilised when signing players in the past. They will get you over here, we'll get you playing in the Premier League. A bigger club from within that league will see you. It's a showcase for you, and then you know you're you're in the country and you're in the league already. So a sideways from the outside looking in, easy. Rick, is it literally just a snobbery thing that they've got a small stadium, therefore they're small fry? Is that literally it? Yeah, I think so, and. Yeah, I, th- I think it is that, and they haven't had Premier League football before as well, so they're going to be the smallest in in status amongst other people. But at the end of the day, it is a Premier League club, and for at least a season. And you'd think that people would use it, like I say, as the, as that gateway into the English game if they want to progress their careers. So Brentford do it all the time. Brighton do it all the time. That's what the leverage that they use to get players that might otherwise go to mid-table La Liga clubs or Serie A clubs or whatever. So, yeah, I, I think it's a, it's an opportunity. And Luton are obviously going along the route of not chucking everything at it and potentially having this season of experiences. It's, um, Burnley did it before, where you, you have like a season, you struggle a little bit, you go down, you get your parachute money, you come back again, but as a stronger team the second time round, and hopefully establish yourself then. So that might be the route that they're they're sort of taking. But it's and and you don't want to be too patronising about it for their supporters and say you know all oh, every day's a free every game's a free hit. And enjoy the experience because at the end of the day you want to watch your football team winning matches and that losing becomes a habit. And if it becomes the expected thing, then it it can be a bit of a long season, even if you are losing in more expensive grounds than you have been previously. Yeah, Tom Bailey, I'll throw it to you because it is only a small sample size at the moment, but the golf does look apparent at the moment. I know you can look at the score lines and say that there probably, you know, there hasn't really been a, a lot in it. Obviously, the Murray and the Chelsea result, but it does feel as though that there is a little bit of a gap already. They were making chances, but it never really felt like it was going in. I mean, I think Ariola made one or two saves but they never really looked like they're under that much pressure i mean their goal came in like the 95th minute where it was pretty much done and dusted at that point so yeah it's again it's like you've said it's early days but it's it's becoming slowly quite apparent that while luton have 
it's very clear that they've gone and bought a championship squad and it's on paper a championship squad as well they're kind of performing as they should be um and i mean they did well against gillingham in the in the league cup and to be fair shows how well they've that. done though doesn't it tom because like you say this squad they've got at the moment if they were in the championship they still oh. probably wouldn't be amongst the favorites to go up anyway would they and that is the challenge i think yeah they wouldn't be among the favorites but i would i would genuinely i wouldn't be surprised if they were top of the or at least in the top i'd say they'd be in playoffs right now easily They've they've been good. They've got one of the best championship squads out there. That's the problem, though, is they're not in the championship yeah. now. It's a competitive championship squad, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. They've literally looked at the best the best players from last year. I mean, Ogbeni looked good in the championship last year. Ryan Giles was great for Middlesbrough last year in the championship again. They've made and obviously they they sprinkled one or two good players in in Cruel and Barkley, but it that's not enough in the Premier League anymore. I mean, look at how Forrest has done. They spent 150 million last year and still finished 16th. It's it's a bastard to stay up. It's really difficult. So they've. it's very clear that they're taking the Norwich approach of we're going down this year, we'll come back next year, hopefully, and do it properly after that. And, of course, with their history of wanting to stay sustainable, of course, nearly disappearing altogether, it's not surprising that they've not broken the bank to, um, to stay in the Prem. Um, I think when they've got some more revenue, they might look to then go big. Well, last point on the Friday game. Then on the flip side, aid um, West Ham. They've um, they've sort of quietly gone about their business, all right, haven't they so far? Certainly, if you look at the rice money that they've spent and where they are in the table, I think the Hammers can be pretty satisfied with the opening four games from their perspective. Yeah, from their perspective, they're doing really well, and um, you know, David Moyes is. is have they surprised you, albeit early days? Yeah, they have surprised me. I must admit. Um, I've got two avid um, West Ham supporters across the road from me down here, and you know I get to hear about it all the time, and they are doing well, no question of that. The question is though, I can hear how the, I long can, hear the can they in your keep voice, it eh? up? That's the question. How long can they keep it up? Uh, you know, I mean, I hope they can, in a way, because I th you know I, th I think it, it just makes a change to have a few newcomers to the top five or six teams. And, you know, West Ham have not been a regular up there. So, yeah, it'll be good, I think, if they can. But uh, time will tell. But they've certainly put off some great results so far this season. No question of that. Well, two teams who haven't found it so easy to find results so far was the lunchtime game on Saturday between Sheffield United and Everton. And, Rick, another, another one where we possibly anticipated the the nil-nil. But then when you take the two defences into account... Maybe a 2-2 draw was right there staring us in the face all along. Yeah, you're right. It could have been on the, on the cards. The only thing you could be sure of is the fact that there would be mistakes leading to goals. Uh, it was a better game than I think everybody anticipated as well. So, uh, But probably not what either of them would have wanted, I no, guess. No, that's the point I was just going to yeah. make. I mean, it's one of those ones that both teams would be looking at. This is one where we can pick up three points. And just to come away with a point each... They're going to feel like it's a, it's a it's a missed opportunity ultimately, but um, yeah, and both sides of Jordan Pickford were on display for everybody to see. So yeah, it was a good game. It was a better game than everybody anticipated. Have you seen it now, Rick? The um, yeah. the own goal and the save. What did you think? Yeah, Jordan Pickford. That's that's exactly the sort of game you you anticipate. Well, it, 
Mind you, having said that, it may be a bit harsh on him because the own goal wasn't really his fault. There wasn't an awful lot he could do about it. But then he picks up, pulls off a world he save at the end of it. So, yeah, so he, he's one of Gareth's, Gareth's boys. And, uh, yeah, point of peace. They move on. How long are they going to stay on a point? I don't know. But, um, yeah, they'll both be disappointed that they didn't get a win there, I think. Who do you think will be the happier Tom after after that result? Because obviously Everton needed the points, but Sheffield United would probably also just be happy to kind of get off the mark for the season as well. I think Everton would be the happier team out of that, considering how bad their start has been. I mean, not to not score a goal in the first three, and that was against Wolves, who of course couldn't score for Toffee either. Um, I think they'll and of the fact they're away from home and for Toffee back from Everton down, very good. Didn't even mean to see that one. Um, yeah, they. I think they would be the happier of the two. Sheffield United can still be happy, and they played very well, so they can still come away happy with that. But of the two, I think Everton would and should be the the happier, considering the uh, the pressure they're under as well already, um, with no goals and well, formerly no goals, um, and some worrying signs ahead. I'm surprised that Sean Dyche hasn't had more effect on Everton. I've always thought he was quite a good manager, certainly from a defensive point of view, because he's always in teams that are always in trouble. So, you know, and he has on a lot of occasions produced some pretty good defenders for his teams. But, um, yeah, I thought he would have done a little bit more than he's shown so far. Early days, again, as we say, but but nonetheless, I mean, I, I, as a manager, I think he's quite good. But you wouldn't say so from what we've seen so far this season, would you? He's pretty much got the original core from Burnley as well of Keenan Tarkovsky. So I'm particularly surprised that it's not really working, unless maybe they're just not as good as we thought they were, or mm. the rest of the league have simply got better. But they know what they're doing under him, and it's not working. So they're either not good enough, or Sean Dyche isn't good enough, which I don't believe. You just start so. to wonder, Tom, I think, whether Sean Dyche might be the right manager at the wrong time. Like, there's a lot of talk of, obviously, stuff at, at bigger clubs that, you know, Rick and AD will know more than most at the moment with stuff that happens off the field and stuff. And it, it's quite clear that it obviously has an effect with what with just the feeling within the club. And you just wonder whether that is kind of what's dragging Everton down at the moment. And he just might be the right man at the wrong time, maybe. Yeah, the fact that they're hamstrung with their new stadium costs as well and FFP on the pitch, it leaves them in a really, really tight spot with what they can actually do to bring reinforcements in. I mean, I know they're letting go of Damari Gray. Um, well, they should be by the end of the week. Um, I think he's off to Saudi as well. Um, I mean, they've brought in Beto, but it's to be seen if he's going to light it up or not. But yeah, they're in a really, really tricky spot. Is he spot. better than what they've already got is the question. <laughs> they didn't have much to start with, to be honest. Um, it's Yeah, I, they're going to be in trouble this year and as a well as a Liverpool fan I hope they go down um, I think but it's it significant to too this business with um, Damari Gray that he's he's telling Sean Dyche he's going and etc etc I mean there's clearly some unrest in the camp for a player to I mean okay the, we all know the riches on, on offer Dan. he said he's got no respect for him didn't he didn't yeah. Damari Gray Paul Dyche right out on Twitter or X. So, but, you know, clearly there's there's a bit of aggravation going on there somewhere behind the scenes, that's for certain. But um, And, you know, you can understand a player, being his head being turned with the sort of money that's being offered. 
but at the same time there are certain protocols that you've got to go through and you're you're under contract to Everton Football Club and as such you can only leave if Everton Football Club deem that they're going to allow you to so you know hard luck tomorrow if you if you you know if you don't like it you know you've got to put up with these things sometimes but it looks as though hey, Adrian I think we, we've all seen we've all seen many people yeah many people's principles go completely out the window as soon as the uh Saudi money comes in, and you burn your rainbow laces if they offer you enough money. Yeah, absolutely. they'll be playing together now. Oh, I think they, they, they're um, he's going to Stephen Gerrard's team, isn't he? I think. Well, he won't be winning anything over there then either, will he? <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I think they have started well, though. Not that I'm really taking too much of an eye on the Saudi league. I don't know about you, boys. Sometimes I, I find myself searching for it, and then I think, David, don't do it. Don't, don't encourage them, David. Don't the trouble is, the teams are so... All the names of the teams are so uh, similar, with their owl in front of it, that, you know, it's very difficult to sort of latch on to who's, who's what. Well, at least over here, if it's... If, you know, a team has got an individual name... But over there, they're all roughly the same, aren't they? I find it very difficult to even know who plays for who. And that is your that is your Saudi Arabian football pro league roundup here. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Um, Stop spending all the money on players. Just give, make your names different, yeah. and all of a sudden, all your problems, your credibility will be yeah. sorted. It'd you be might be great, more profitable then. You might well do. <laughs> Genius. Just wait, it'll all change soon. They'll suddenly realise what they're doing wrong and they'll change the names. You wait and see. <laughs> you heard it here first. Well, Aidan, I'm going to stick with you because you love goals, goals, goals. And there was goals, goals, goals at Brentford this weekend. The 2-2 draw with Bournemouth. I think another one of those where um, both teams might be pretty happy with that. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, Bournemouth, new manager sort of settling in. Um, Brentford, well, they've got a great manager. I think he's he's pretty, pretty good. So um, I'm sure they were they were highly delighted. And if you can hear a funny noise, it's the tap for my garden getting turned on. But uh, maybe you can't hear it over there. But it's it's going through me like a, a knife through. Butter. All I can hear is a baby tapping this end. <laughs> oh well, fair enough. But no, um, good result generally for both teams. They both need the points, obviously. Uh, goals, you know, goals means confidence is being boosted. So both teams will come out of that thinking, well, we haven't done too bad. So, uh, yeah, I think it was a good result for both of them, really. And in fact, Bournemouth have surprised me that they've started quite well generally, haven't they, um, this season? So, uh, yeah, I think it was a good result all round. Tom, even though Bournemouth were 1 0 up going, uh, sorry, 2 1 up going into the 90th minute. It does seem as though that their manager was pretty accepting of the fact that they probably didn't do enough to to win the game. I think I think Brentford hit the bar about three or four times in the end. And what about that finish from Mbermo to um, to pin it back as well? That that turn on the halfway line, running through on goal, it was a pretty nifty finish. The only from part a, I've seen from is... a decent player this season. You're going to tell me you haven't seen it. The only part I've seen is the turn, and the turn was magnificent. Okay, so I can only assume I, yeah, the finish was as good. That's, I can only assume the finish was as good as the turn. Um, he's a brilliant player. If we hadn't signed um, Diaz and then Gakpo, 
and obviously Nunes Just as out well. of interest, Tom, sorry, interrupting your point. Did you see that as a clip or did you just see the turn and go, I don't need to see anything I've else? Seen enough. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah, want yeah. He's got another 40 yards to go from goal. Yeah. I know what's going to happen here. Like, I don't need to watch I've that. I've got the foresight. That seems a bit bizarre. No, it was, um, no, it was just a clip, but I, uh, I now want to watch the rest of that goal. I need to watch match of the day. I'm still catching up from Amsterdam, so... Um, I'm stuck behind, but yeah, I think. Sorry, Tom, interrupting your point. Carry on, sir. <laughs> um, he was. What was I saying? Oh yes. Um, if we hadn't signed Diaz and uh, Nunez and all that before we were sort of faltering, still, um, he was near the top of my list. I think he was brilliant when they first came up, and even <clears> when they had their sort of stuttering in the second season, um, they were just as good then. Because when you think about it, this is their third, fourth year now. Um, they've been brilliant um, and Mbermo has been a major part of that um, I think it's their third yeah um, mm. but yeah they've been, they've been brilliant obviously Tony been the star man but Mbermo in the background been uh, been quietly chipping away um, and I'm sure he'll go somewhere wonderful um, inevitably it'll be Manchester City and I'll be hating him but um, until then we can appreciate the, the magnificence that is Brian Mbermo Rick, for Bournemouth, we touched on it briefly on Monday when nothing actually um, recorded, so we may as well just touch base with it again. But um, <laughs> um, Dominic Solanke seems to be the type of the player that I've, I've always called it the Cameron Jerome zone, where you're really good for the championship, but you're not very good at all in the Premier League. And he was sort of in that zone for a little while, but he does seem to have really found a home now at Bournemouth and seems to be seems to be firing and fulfilling that potential that he once once had when he was a younger player he's found somewhere um where he's loved and appreciated and he's the is big man and everything goes through him so yeah i think it's, it's an ideal ideal fit and fair play to bournemouth for sticking with him because he didn't exactly hit the ground running when he went there. he went there with a reasonable sort of fee behind him and a bit of pressure they stuck with him and uh he's looking to do the business now and he's, he's looking looking well at home uh, in a Bournemouth shirt. So, uh, yeah, that seems like a good fit now. Age, you've been impressed with uh, Ange Ball since um, he's gone in at, at Spurs and it was a thumping win in the end at, at Burnley. And Son, even though Son has always been a player of great quality and has shown it even with Kane in the team, but you just start to wonder if he now might sort of go into a league of his own now Kane isn't there because it was a beautiful hat-trick at the weekend. Yeah, it was, and you know, Mr. Good old Ange has done really well. Uh, but I mean, if you remember when we Man United played them, and I did happen to say then that I thought that Spurs, especially in the second half, looked a, a pretty useful outfit, and uh, they seem to have progressed from that, and they're playing well and scoring lots of goals. So, uh, yeah, he's he's doing the job, isn't he? And Obviously, Harry Kane is not missed, or it would appear certainly at the moment. Anyway, I mean, uh, I don't think uh, Ricardison is, is going to do much for him. To be honest, he doesn't seem to do much at all. Didn't he score? Did he score on Saturday as well? Was he one of the five? He no, scored he scored in the, in the FA. Um, sorry, the Carabao Cup defeat to Fulham, I think, in the, oh, the week before. Sort of, yeah, but he doesn't seem. He's hardly sort of you know piling the goals in, is he? Whereas Harry Kane is. Although it'd be interesting to see how Harry Kane gets on for England now, suddenly having scored and made himself, uh, um, you know, aware of the 
Bundesliga and uh, suddenly now he's back to his England duties. Is it gonna is it gonna change? I don't know. We have to wait and see, won't we? But, uh, but I think, Rick, I think uh, Spurs uh, have got a good chance now of going and definitely being one of the top four. Well, they've certainly started well, and I just wondered, Rick, if they've actually paid a bit of a blinder in not necessarily going out in the transfer market and looking to replace him like for like. They've obviously brought in um, Brennan Johnson, who is one of those players that they can sort of rotate anywhere across the front three. Is that is that kind of the wise way to do it? Because if you're going to bring someone in like for like, there's always going to be obvious comparisons with Kane. And let's be honest, there just isn't many Canes out there. So is this the smart way of going about it? You think about it. Big Ange knew what the squad he was going to have. And I think actually his style of play doesn't suit having a centre forward that drops as deep as Kane does anyway. And um, he's probably... His squad is better suited to the type of football he wants to play without him in it. So it may be that he's actually got the job at the right time and he's not got that. It's not a millstone. I think a bloke who scores that many goals every week can't never be a millstone. But if you're going with a way of playing and uh, the players he's got seem to suit that system better than Harry Kane would and Madison's hit the ground running there as well. He seems to have fitted straight in and uh, the the thing is they're going to get it's going to be interesting when they play against the bigger teams and they get exposed and come under a bit more pressure it's different doing it at Burnley than it is doing it at um, the empty had or somewhere like that so yeah there's still they've got a habit of going 2-0 up at the Etihad haven't they and not seeing it through (laughs) they've done that a couple of times but um you know, you you can only play what's in front of you, so it's all very well speculating at the moment. They've hit the ground running, and they are absolutely, absolutely flying. And fair play to him for doing it because he wasn't the same as when he took the Celtic job. He's got it wasn't everybody's first choice to do it, and people were disappointed in the appointment. But the thing is, wherever he's gone, whoever he's managed, have played really good football. So I think that he's going to be all right in the end. And uh, but Spurs are still Spurs. So they will not finish in the top four. Because they're still Spurs. Um, Tom, on the flip side then, Burnley. Um, most people tip them to do better out of the three. Obviously, we've already touched on Sheffield United and Luton. But what have you made of them so far? Is it also a bit difficult to judge? Because they have had some tougher fixtures. They've had Spurs and City in there already. But did they show flashes? particularly on Saturday against Spurs, that they could do something this year? They're a weird side at the moment. I don't really know what to make of them. I fully expect them to... They've had a difficult fixture list, so we've got to cut them some slack, but it's been... They've been pretty heavy defeats. I mean, 5-2 Spurs. Um, I can't find their bloody fixtures now, but they've not been particularly convincing in any of them. They struggled against Villa and obviously, well, City completely dismantled them. Um, there was a win at Forest in the Cup which would have done them some, some good you would think but that was last minute they had to really scrape that one out so so far they've really not looked convincing in, in any game they've played so it'll, I think the Monday night fixture against well Forest actually um, will be a big one for them their next home game is United so that's going to be another tricky one and then Newcastle and Chelsea so we don't really know where they are until 
mid to mid October to so even to start of November. They've had a really, really They'll hard need to start soon though, won't they? Run. Like getting something on the board. Yeah, you've got to take a big one at least one big team to stay up. That's my view at least. Um, which is probably what Luton will have to do at some point because they've uh, they've had Chelsea already. But yeah, it's gonna be a, a tricky season for them. Um they're not as good as I thought they were. Um so my tenth place prediction is looking a bit silly already. Um, I was going to say, yeah. Tom, everybody assumed at the start of the season that of the three promoted teams, it was going to be Luton and Sheffield United that struggled because of the way that um, Burnley played last season. But actually, the, the bottom's sort of fallen out of things, like you say, at the start of this season, and they're going to have to pull the finger out pretty sharpish. Just because they've got Vincent Company there doesn't mean that they're automatically going to be as successful as, as a lot of people assumed before the season started, I don't think. Yeah, out of the 10 games that all three teams have played, they've got one point between them. And I know Burnley have had a really tricky start, and I know Luton have had some disruptive start, uh, and a, a disruptive start. In fact, I oh know they haven't yet. Um, yeah, they need to pick something up soon, and it'll probably be when they play each other. That's when we'll really know who the, the, the weak links are. Um, and of course Everton mixed up down there as well yeah it's going to be a tough one uh, for all three of them but I suppose we'll have to wait and see it'll be sort of October to November we'll really start to get an idea of of who's pretenders and who's not Did I also see Tom that um, I think there was a stat that this is the worst return from um, three promoted teams possibly in the Premier League era so far which is quite alarming might be a stat that I've not yet seen, but I wouldn't be surprised. That... I might have made it up. Let's not rule that out. <laughs> from from the top of my head, there's usually one that surprises everyone and starts well. The fact that all three of them have really mm. struggled to start with is um, unusual. Um, yeah, it's. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if that stat is right, to be honest. So um, I will I will back you on that one. We'll have to do some research and follow you up. You can come and find me on Twitter if that's wrong, because I don't have it. <laughs> um, hey, this was an enjoyable one. Um, I do like a little bit of uh, commentary from Jonathan Pierce from time to time, and he described this one as the recruitment agency derby between Chelsea and Nottingham Forest. And um, that, was a, that was a win for all football fans everywhere, wasn't it? Forrest nicking that one at the bridge. Yeah, and... Uh... Ex-Man U player scoring the goal as well, which he took quite well, but I pity he didn't do that for United. He might have stayed there then, but, uh, you know, I don't know. But, I mean, uh, in my opinion, he's still done more than Anthony and a lot of your wingers anyway, but I'm surprised well, that... I appreciate from his point of view, he's wanted to go and get, you know, more minutes, but... It must be one where you looked at where you go, oh, don't do well and start showing us exactly what you could have yeah, done here, because he does you... look... A, a player yeah no I, I agree I agree and you know whenever a player leaves in, under those sort of circumstances you're doing that aren't you thinking, oh, don't you go and turn it on against us boy Cause, you know, but, um, but no but I mean Chelsea uh, is it any wonder that they're in a mess because I mean with so many players coming in and out it's like Waterloo Station up there isn't it you know every day there's a whole load of people come in and another load of people go out so it's not surprising that they're struggling, if you ask me. I'm, I'm surprised that Forrest did did beat them, but equally, uh, you know, good luck to them. You know, I thought it was uh, an interesting situation, really. 
Rick, what's your thoughts on the Alanga point in particular? I think it's. Uh, I think he had to move. It's just annoying that the situation at the club at United at the moment is the fact that if he had hung around, he'd have had a very good opportunity to to get the games that he didn't get last season because you've got Anthony behaving like an absolute arse and his chances are he's going to be suspended. Sancho opening his mouth and jeopardising his prospects. So uh, he would have had the opportunity that he didn't feel that he got last season. So uh, if he's taking the opportunity at Forest and getting game time, then, then fair play to him. But as I said in the great lost pod on Monday, there will not be a funnier result for the rest of the season than Chelsea nil, Nottingham Forest won. It's one for, for football lovers everywhere to enjoy the fact that uh, that Chelsea lost at home, especially because after they, they, they beat Luton, everybody was back on the Raheem Sterling to be back in England squad of, aren't Chelsea wonderful, aren't they playing well? And the first opportunity that they get after that, they, uh, they mess things up completely. So that was uh, very enjoyable. I enjoyed that. Were you surprised, Rick, were you surprised Sorry. that Alanga still uh, not in the first team lineup and having to come on from the bench all the time? You say all the time, it's early start of the season, isn't it? That was, mm. Did he start that game on Saturday? No. It, no. Then, you know, it may be the fact that he, eventually, by Christmas, he'll probably be back in the, he will be in the starting lineup, I would have thought, because he's. He's had an assist and a goal now, so he's contributing to the side. So, uh, especially with Johnson going as well, so um, he, I think there's an opportunity for him there if he wants to, if he wants to take it. And um, he's a Swedish international at the end of the day. It's not like he's somebody who's absolutely pants, but he just it wasn't working out at him for United. And he was one of those players because he wasn't an Edward Wood contracted player who was on eighteen million pounds just for turning up. It was one that United could get out the door. So yeah. circumstances meant that he had to go, really. Yeah, I guess I guess that's the way. But uh, but poor Chelsea. I mean, <laughs> you know, you wonder what what are yeah, they gonna do, what are they going to do to get themselves in a sensible state? I mean, oh, Mauricio must be going through it. I should think trying to work out what is his best team because you know it must be very. To difficult. quote Windsor Davis, those of us old enough to watch uh, our hot month, not. Sure. Some um, do oh dear, how bad. Never mind. There you go. Move on. Well, moving a nice, on. A nice, um, <laughs> a, nice, a nice recent reference there, Mr. Hyatt. Sorry, am I showing my age? Yes. <laughs> For the youngsters there. Do you think, well, sorry if you boys have just touched on that point, but do you not think that Mauricio Pochettino's kind of got a little bit of a free hit at this himself? because of all the, like, it's just such a unique situation that nobody's got any experience of dealing with that kind of turnover at a club. And, well, unless you're, unless you're Steve Cooper, I guess. <laughs> I still think he does. I think he should, but it's Chelsea. Todd Bowley said that Graham Potter was going to be a project manager and then three months later he was sacked, having this, a similar turnover to... Um, to one that Pochettino's experienced, I genuinely wouldn't be surprised if, if Chelsea didn't pick it up, of course, if he, if he was gone by February, because Todd Bowley is uh, is is actually managing the club and not Mauricio Pochettino. Um, so as much as he should have a free hit, I wouldn't be surprised if, if that was not the case. Personally. 
Uh, well, we'll 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 move that on then, because um, aid. I'm a, well, I'll come to you with this. It's it's not one that we all wanted to see, but Man City spanked Fulham for five, and I don't know if you saw it, but it all hinged on that second goal where it looked a clear offside to everybody apart from the referee um, on that particular afternoon, which is extremely frustrating, and you can imagine how Marco Silva felt. Yeah, he certainly seems to be getting, getting a lot of rum deals lately, doesn't he, Marco Silva? I can't. Um, there seems to be quite a few. Ways. It's no surprise he's had a booking in every game so far. I well, don't exactly, think. I don't know yeah. if he did get one at the weekend. He, he's, you know, and then there was the, the the situation at Old Trafford in the FA Cup. Time, was it FA Cup time on that, or was it a League Cup? One of the other. Yeah, last season with the yeah, Mitrovic. Yeah, um, so I mean, yeah. you know, he's certainly getting a lot of sort of irate situations developing for him in front of him. But uh, I thought Fulham was one of would have put up a, a slightly better show than 5-0. I must admit, it was it 5-1? I can't remember. 5-something. Uh, yeah, 5-1 five, five, in the end. Yeah. So, I, I'm, I'm surprised that uh, they didn't at least put up a better show than that. Um, because at half, I think I'm right to say at half-time, it was, it was either 0-0 or just 1-0. And it seemed to have fallen apart in the second half. So, um, surprised, I must admit, surprised. And... Well, as for City, well, they don't seem to be showing much uh, drop-off from their form, do they? Unfortunately, unbeaten, top of the table. It's uh, it's a depressing sight, really, at the moment. But uh, <laughs> there you go. Rick, we've spoken about this, haven't we? The fact that, um, you know, Fulham, when, they, when they're up against an Arsenal like we saw last week, you think, oh, yeah, they might actually have a chance. And they did get something. But when it's the Etihad, it's just you never really felt at any point, even with that decision, that Fulham were ever really going to be able to do anything. And that's just the reality of where City are versus the rest. Yeah, it's, a, it's just the advantage that you get with 115 <laughs> Against you, the advantages that you've. Uh, I cross them in, Rick. You just you tap them in, son. All you, right? Yeah, you nod. I'm not them in, son. <laughs> Even when Harlan is turning around and saying that uh, it was offside, <laughs> mainly because it wasn't one of his hat trick, one of the goals in his hat tricks. Would so you be annoyed if you were a pep at that, or not really? Would you be having a word in his ear saying, "Don't say that"? Uh, I don't know, because Pep goes off on one on the side of the pitch about things that nobody else really cares about so it's probably one of those things that you think oh that's a bit iffy no wonder he needed back surgery (laughs) yeah it's it's manchester city with it's it's nice to see them involved in a game with a one and a five in it he just needed another one in there and it it would have been totally appropriate (laughs) how has he done that oh my god i thank you i thank you (laughs) Um, Tom, any any thoughts on it? It's just as routine <laughs> well, as you get, wasn't it? Yeah, that's about it. I mean, Harland hat trick, good for the FPL. I was just going to say that, just for everybody that's got Harland in the fantasy team, isn't it? Well, that'll be yeah. everyone. Yeah. But that's the thing, Rick. I think by definition, you have to have him in your team because otherwise you're literally just going to get left behind. You have to start there and work around it, I think. Definitely. Go on, Tom, what are you going to say? Nothing, just that. No, no, honestly, no. I mean, they're going to win the league. They're going to have Haaland as top scorer. There's really not much point in discussing them because they're null and void. They are going to finish first, and that's that. So there's really nothing. It's the battle. Um, for I'm second. very sorry, Tom. I got very excited then because uh, my partner just whispered to me then, Do you fancy a Chinese? Yes. 
Oh, the magic words. I'm getting a Chinese. <laughs> Don't take that away from me now. Don't take that away from me. Definitely Chinese. Yeah, perfect. Speaking of takeaway, what could you take away from Brighton beating Newcastle 3-1? Whoa! This boy's good. Oh, oh that came to me. found a new host on Free Valley Radio. <laughs> Obviously, Brighton beating Newcastle 3-1 after losing at home to West Ham. It's I don't know what to make of Brighton because, and actually what to make of Newcastle either because they looked brilliant against Aston Villa. They were good for half a game against Liverpool. Um, they looked okay-ish against City and they looked really out of sorts against Brighton. So I don't really know where they stand at the moment. I don't know what um, what you think, AD. <clears throat> well, talking about Brighton, um, I've got an exclusive here. Uh, Does it come from the Daily Mail? No, no, no. <laughs> this is this is uh, born and bred in North Perrot, would you believe? Because uh, uh, what's it? Mr. Ferguson? That's his name, isn't it? Yeah. What's his first name? Evan. Uh, Evan, Evan. That's it. Evan. Yeah. I should have known that because my grandson's called Evan. Anyway, um, his grandfather happens to work at North Perrot Fruit Farm, and he was telling me because I happened to go down there today that. Um, the manager of Brighton, Roberto, his name escapes me for the second bit. Deserby. Uh, Deserby, that's the boy. Yeah. Uh, he has um, apparently before the game instructed Evan Ferguson to drop back a bit deeper and and run at them more. And this. Course, Ala Harry Kane. Yeah. I guess. And he, yeah. Uh, immediately he scores three goals. Um, so. You know, all right, he's injured as well, which is a problem because he can't play for Northern Ireland. Uh, not Northern Ireland, it's the Republic of Ireland, isn't it, I think. Don't get that one mixed up, Aid. Whatever no. you do, don't do that. No, no. <laughs> Republic of Ireland. Okay. So, um, you know, apparently um, he's been working with Evan Ferguson for quite a bit and trying to develop his, his game, a game a bit more, get my teeth in. And uh, it appears to be working, doesn't it? So, uh, I mean, he's only 18 as well. I, I mean, know, the ceiling it's incredible. is. And not only that, his sister, I th- he said, uh, granddad said to me that he, um, she plays for the Republic of Ireland ladies team as well. So it's obviously in the family. And he played, granddad played uh, when he was younger um, with Liam Brady, would you believe? So it's a real proper family. I was just going to say, what's he doing with a fruit farm then until well, you said that uh, bit? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I, I can't really, we haven't got a fruit farm team, otherwise I imagine he'd be the manager of it. But, uh, but you know, he's obviously a real bright light, isn't he? At 18, and coming on and playing like that in, in the Premier League and getting a hat-trick. I mean, it's not just his, not, you know, it's not his first goal, he's scored a few others anyway, hasn't he? So I thought it was, I thought that was quite significant, really, and... Uh, you know, quite clearly, Brighton selling a few players has not made that much difference to them at all so far, has it? They're still going well. Rick, I did appreciate the, um, I think it was on Power, Paddy Power, where they said the difference between, um, or no, the the comparison between the 1996 Newcastle side and the 2023 Newcastle side is that they've both been undone by a Ferguson. I thought that was quite good. Yeah. This, this fixture was the epitome, actually, of good versus evil. It should have been played at Panto season, shouldn't it, really? Everything that's good in football with Brighton and everything that absolutely stinks the game to high heaven in uh, in Newcastle. Although I would like just like to say I question Adrian's story. Why? Because... Uh, 
Well, because what you when was the last time you ate fruit? <laughs> I eat a lot of fruit as it happens. I've had some pineapple today already, fresh. Okay, oh. fair enough. I just wondered if they started selling chips down a fruit farm or something. No, <laughs> not, not lately. No, they haven't. But uh... Okay. Well, look, we've got around about 10 minutes or so to go. So I'm going to let you boys go first with this one because... Arsenal United was last on the billing in terms of the, the running order, but I'm going to let you have a little bit of extra time now that you've had a little bit of extra time, in fact, to actually um, to go through it. Um, before we come to AIDS, Ran, I think we'll go to Rick's <laughs> first. <laughs> oh, really? Um, just to give AD a chance to compose himself before he talks <laughs> us through his thoughts. But, Rick, how did you see it? Firstly, in terms of, obviously the result but the actual performance of your team I think it was as good as United or as effective as United have looked this season it wasn't great obviously but uh, I think it, the thing is it one thing that does come out of that game is it dispels all the myths of you look at the the controversial incidents you look at the offside you look at the penalty decision you look at the penalty decision that United were turned down those are classic examples of things where other supporters of others, other clubs would absolutely 100% guarantee say, well, if that had been Man United, they'd have got that one. And uh, I think that proves that they wouldn't. Like I said before, after the week before, there was no way United were going to get anything out of the referee in this uh, in this particular game. Gabriel seemed to be able to do what he, what he wanted, fouling Johnny Evans before Declan Rice deflected one in for the winner off him. That was a clear foul. Um Hoyland was fouled in the penalty area. One of those ones that goes goes either way. I hope Martin Keown and all the other mounts in the in the press are quite happy with themselves because they, for whatever reason, they seem to have affected the decision making in that. Because I'm just bored. I'm so bored with everyone saying, "Had that been Man United, they'd have got that one. If that had been at Old Trafford, they'd have got that one." Well, it just shows that game shows actually that that's a load of nonsense and United don't get the decisions that are borderline. And Just a quick question from me before club. we do hear Aidy's glowing references of, of the game. Oh, go Arsenal on quickly I've before I... No, go on. Three things that I'd forgotten. Because Arsenal have kept a low profile for the last few years, there are three things that only sort of like they dawned on me again after watching this game is uh, how laughable the Arsenal supporters are within the ground because they're, they're hopeless. Arteta is possibly the most unlikable individual involved. I'd in agree with that. <laughs> and um, Jesus does have the most punchable face in football history. Move on. What was the question you wanted to say? Um, no, my question was going to be, um, just very quickly on that, that I actually think the Johnny Evans signing is a shrewd bit of business. The fact that you've got the experience there, he he has done pretty well when he hasn't been injured. To be fair, he even now left. he's an absolute. He was one of those. One of those. He's absolute specimen. But is that kind of also a signal of where you are in a way as well? That the fact yeah. you ended the game with Maguire and Evans on the pitch, and I just yeah. wondered if that was kind of certainly an on paper perspective, quite an alarming sort of realisation of where you are with things? Is that, is that a fair comment? This, it's a perfect example of what happens if you have the owners that United have got. Everything comes back. It's really boring, and I'm sorry I say the same thing every week, and I will say the same thing until this vermin are gone. Those, that family have absolutely ripped the arse out of United over their tenure. 
and they've they've done everything that is wrong when you're owning a football club. And uh, I, I appreciate that United spoiled a lot of people's childhoods by winning things under Fergie and whatever. Certainly spoiled mine. <laughs> exactly. Well, Liverpool spoiled mine in the decades yeah. before that. You know, so it, so what comes around goes around. And I appreciate a lot of people have got an agenda against United. And isn't it funny what happens? But don't you think it's sad that this family have been allowed to do this to one of the biggest football clubs in the world and they continue to do it now? I just think as a sport, they are, I said before, Newcastle, everything that's wrong with it. They are everything that's wrong with ownership of a football club. Um, I don't I don't disagree with that at all. My, my only gripe <laughs> with the fact is, like anything, is like... Um, People complain that there's too many Liverpool pundits, for example, and that's obviously just kind of like how the way it is. But it's the same with United, with with Neville, who I, who I like. But any defeat, any goal conceded, anything is the owner. That's it. Like I, whilst I I agree, you can't then hide behind it all the time. That that that's all. There there should still be more. Dave, it come, it comes minute. back to it because there's a stat that came out today that United have spent more money in the Premier League era than anybody else, but it's spent badly. Who, yeah, appointed, yeah, no, who appointed the people that spent that money badly? The Glazers. There but was... like we touched on the other week, though. I think some of those signings on paper are good signings, and I couldn't tell you why they haven't worked. Like the Sancho one in particular that seems to be going yeah. even more sour at the moment. Like, I'd have been but happy look, with that one. At... I'd have been happy with an Anthony, and I, I can't tell you why that's not working. No. And there are problems that within. Maybe the that's a poorer problem. example, but you yeah, get yeah, my maybe. point. But yeah. If you look at you look at United's business on transfer deadline day, they're scrapping round, and that that offer they made for Amrabat originally, the the loan deal was embarrassing. There is a caveat I've learned since that owners of football clubs could put in ninety million of their own money, and it not affect financial fair play. Surprise, surprise! The Glazers didn't do that. So they're, they're just awful, awful people. And they've got an opportunity there. Just just go. The, the share price is crashing now. Just go. Please go. Aid, have you got much more to add to that? Because I think we'll, we'll extend this by a couple of minutes because I think it's only fair that you get your chance to sort of come in on that as well. Don't restrict yourself. Go for it. It's your station. <laughs> no, it's our station. Um the referee was a complete idiot. How he could not give the, the Rasmus penalty, I just cannot believe that. Right under his nose, he pulled him down and dragged him down. Absolute disgrace that was. That was such a blatant if penalty. If that was Man United, they'd have got that one, eh? Yeah, you're right, old dog, <laughs> you're right. Um, the foul against Johnny Evans, again, blatant, right under your nose. What is wrong with VAR? Do they not? Look at the right. They must be going to a different game, I think. Um, and what was the third thing that really riled me? That yeah, the, the, offside. the offside. The result. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I really uh, thought when I, 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 unfortunately I couldn't see the game live, so I had to listen and rely on the radio and bits because I had to go out to a barbecue. And I was. I can understand. I can. I, I can sympathise with how heart wrenching that moment is. It was, yeah. At it that was. particular I time, we at it. that, I there's really nothing then, worse. No, I just, I just sickened by the whole. I, I don't, you know, I get upset when they lose. Yeah, of course I do. Uh, but this is one of the most. Well, we all do. That's, that's you know, fair enough. Uh, of late, and um, 
I just, Eric, I just hope, mate, you've got to get yourself together and get this whole lot going and let's, let's go and give a few hammerings to people because you're going to have to really rebuild my confidence in you because I, I was disappointed with that, really disappointed. Tom, I'd let you come in, but I don't really have time for your thoughts, mate, because um, there's a couple of very tiny, tiny tiny fixtures that we need to just quickly get in before we wrap up uh crystal palace three wolves two that's all you need to know but that was a lovely win for liverpool to uh to finish the uh, the international break with tom bailey i was very surprised i fully expected especially when i saw we were lining up without endo and knowing we didn't have van dyke i was i was genuinely expecting a loss so i'm very happy that um we defied every single one of my expectations um nunez looked very sharp uh, hit the bar than I thought they were at. They are, yeah. They didn't look good at all. I mean, it didn't help that Carlos came off in the 20th minute. I think it was the 20th minute with an injury um, and having to switch their system up. But they they struggled a lot. Um, they, they're they a bizarre side because they absolutely pummeled Everton, absolutely pummeled Burnley, uh, and then cocked it up against us and cocked it up against Newcastle. So maybe they're just the most 8th to 10th place side we'll ever see. Well... Um, Quite possibly, but uh, I'm going to have to wrap you up there because I think we're having to wrap the whole thing up um, this evening. So, gentlemen, thank you very much, as always. Uh, we've um, managed to record it successfully, as far as I'm aware. So, Tom Bailey, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Rick Hyatt, thanks as always, mate. Passionate as always. Always, always a pleasure. Enjoy your Chinese. And uh, as much, I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed watching Mo Salah's last game in the Premier League. <laughs> We've got what? We've got we've got another twenty four hours, is that right? Until we find out what happens there. Yeah. Ease off. Aidy Hopper, thank you very much, mate. You can sign us off as I, I say a good night from myself, Dave Pryor. Well, thank you everybody for listening to Football Bloody Hell. And make sure you join us again next week.